Good evening and welcome to episode 14. We're at Jim Bobcast. I'm Jim. And I'm Bob. How are you, Lord Bob? I'm really good, actually, mate. Not too bad at all. Can't grumble about the situation. What about your good self? Yeah, I'm good. I'm sat here on my apartment balcony, listening to the crickets chirp away, looking at Dubai. It's it's sort of, it's really beautiful, actually. You can see the marina from here. It's sort of lit up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) How lovely for you. (laughs) Yeah, no, so... um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm really well, thanks, mate. Um, but, yeah, kids are uh, ambling through homeschooling and I've got a lot of work on, uh, which has been good for me because it's been, well, an indifferent week on the Arsenal front, um, a result that was a, a little bit and uh, a really good result just uh, last night. And then, yeah, and then this the whole Ozil situation, which we're going to spend some good time on the scene. I just, it's just been very sad. You, you know how I feel about Meza Ozil. I've... I've waited until the pod actually to properly comment on it, not comment on it on on Twitter. And I kind of stayed off Twitter a little bit. I just haven't really wanted to listen or read other people's opinions before I can kind of get my own words out. Yeah, I think I think that's not a bad idea. So to the football yes. last Thursday, we played Thursday and Monday, which I found quite interesting. Not having a game over the weekend. Obviously, the Crystal Palace game last Thursday, well, that was the proverbial bore draw. Such a drab, dull event. I think I joked with you, Sam, we've got to talk about this and there was nothing to talk about. What a bad game. Yeah, Uh, I mean, it highlighted a few things. How much we miss Kieran Tierney now. He he has now made himself the most important asset in that starting 11, I think. And I think actually you see that drastically by what he adds to the team in the Newcastle game and what you didn't have in the um, Palace game. And also sneakily that when the chips are down, people are far too harsh on Leno and not enough people actually pour praise on him when he goes through really, really purple patches. And and this is not his first or second or third occasion where he's having a really, really, really good run of form. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Leno's been, you know, obviously under a lot of pressure since he's sold Martinez before the start of the season. But what Leno's done since he's really cemented himself as number one, and he's only really had a season or so of being cemented as number one, because obviously he started off with Czech at the club, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he's he's really there now. He's found his feet. I think he's playing brilliantly for us. Also, almost showing some signs of leadership qualities there as well. Kieran Tierney was horrifically missed against Crystal Palace. You, you would never think that a left-back would be so fundamental to your attacking options as what Kieran Tierney was uh, and is, as the case is. So that was worrying. I was also very worried to see him out then and needing an MRI scan because you, you what you think of the worst. Obviously, Klanisic has just gone back to Schalke. And then you're thinking, Christ, because uh, Maitland-Niles, I felt he had a really poor game. Yeah, he didn't have a very good game. Um, and he also showed, you know, albeit we've got a fat squad, we are short in some positions and you've got a naturally right-footed player playing at left back. And whilst I understand the inverted winger is the fashionable thing to do in 2020 football. It's not the fashionable way to be a fullback because you want to hold the byline and you also want your strong foot when obviously you're defending goal side. So it just looked a bit unnatural, didn't it? I think he's got away with it in previous times where he's played in a wingback position because it's, um, it's a different sort of almost... Ever. It's a different role. Yeah, but when it's an out-and-out 
four and you're playing full back, it didn't pour a load of light on 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 what we actually think make the nulls of a player. You know, we both think quite highly of him as a player. Yeah, and he, uh, and he had a great he game. At, he had a great game at right back a couple of weeks back. So, he did. He, he was a bit. But talking of right back, I thought Bellerin had a shocker. He did. Yeah, I just, he, um, which was out of character because he's played well in a few games leading up to that game. He was getting involved. He was getting in the way so many times. He got in the way of a ball, or he tried. He drifted inside where he didn't need to be. I just thought he was running around a bit headless, chickeny, looking looking for the ball. Mm. If I could liken it to anything, I liken it to how uh, Willian plays for us. You know, <laughs> always running towards the ball, not trying to develop space and run with the space or hold a position. After all, he's a defender. Holding position and and playing in your role is is as important. As, as anything mm-hmm. yeah I thought you know and I'll probably tip on a little bit and have a little chat about him when we talk about Newcastle well I thought Xhaka was good in the middle of the park he made some mistakes but he was very good to clean up after himself and he did that sort of in a defensively minded role really well against Palace I thought he did brilliantly yeah Xhaka has been in good form since his uh, red card incident and he carried that into the Newcastle game I thought he had an exceptional game against Newcastle as well he just looks to be in, you know, a more kind of professional mindset. He he just looks like his awareness is sharper. His movement looks sharper positionally. He you know he's never been the fastest player, but so so he has to gain speed by being precisionally a lot more astute. And his distribution is is a, is a lot more clinical. You know, he's now passing the ball with fizz and in variable directions. He's happy to take um, long distance passes on, and if they don't come off, he doesn't get his head down. I think he's had a really, really good run of games now. Probably nearly six games, I think, where he's he's really held his own. You know, he's he's held seven to seven out of ten plus performances in all games. I, I thought David Luiz was was solid again. I thought he had a good game, and and you know, I was very glad to see Rob Holding sign a new contract. Actually, I think he's deserved it and he's earned it, and he has been good now for for a while as well and, and and when we come on to the Newcastle game I thought especially he had a very good game against Newcastle last night as well I agree with you there yeah and, and again moving forward I thought there wasn't obviously Saka found it hard he was you know moved to left back halfway through the game as well yeah incidentally when he did go to left back we looked a lot better down the left so uh you know, that really does show it that if Saka's going to be our substitute left-back, we are in a bit of trouble there. So, but was, Bob, there was some good news to come out of that Palace game. The good news was that Thomas Partey returned uh, and played 20-odd minutes. And he replaced a player who I've criticised to you quite a lot now, Danny Ceballos. I do not know what kind of footballer Danny Ceballos is. I, I cannot describe him as a footballer. I'm finding it more and more and more difficult as well to put my finger on it um, about what he specifically adds to the side. I'm of the opinion now that we've had Ceballos for the best part of 80 games and I think he's probably run his course with Arsenal now. I I think Arsenal need to think about moving on from him. And I'm not. I'm trying not to cross over, but because we've played two games in three days, and obviously subbing Ceballos after 70 minutes in the Palace game, and then Parties played 110 minutes from that point onwards, it is golfs of areas apart about how much more someone can add to a game than than the other person. You know, I didn't think Ceballos played atrociously against Palace, potentially one of his better games for a while. 
But the so what did he, so so that's fine, right? So let me just call you out on that then. So what did he do particularly then that you that that you want to see in your game in on a weekly basis? Because <laughs> so I don't. Because I don't see chance creation, I don't see goals. All right, Arsenal are having a bit of a good run at the moment where they're keeping clean sheets, that's fine, but that's not, you can't particularly put that down to Sabayos because El Nene and Party have now featured in teams where they've kept clean sheets. So that's not particularly down to I, one midfielder. I felt, I felt that in the Palace game, he moved quite nicely with the ball on occasions. But don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he had a good game and he's a good player and a, I want to see him play week after week. But in some of his previous games, I think that he was probably slightly better against Palace than he had been. Just what I thought I saw, you know. And, I, and, I, and I feel like you set a low bar now for what a midfielder should do for Arsenal football. No, no. I, I basically have compared it to his previous games and said, oh, he was better than those. Much the same like we had done with the, the boy Anani. You know, we castigated him halfway earlier in the season. He's came in and had some good games. And we, we've praised him for those good games. Uh, I'm just, you know, I think Sabayas is well short of the mark for where we wanted to be. And crossing over again, last night's game showed that in full ultra high definition, 4K <laughs> my, and all the beats. But my, my, but my issue is, is whether whether they're technically gifted enough or have the aptitude to play at the level that we set as a benchmark for Arsenal Football Club is fine. But I know what kind of footballer Granit Xhaka is by watching him. He is a deep-lying, ball-playing midfielder who looks to move the ball variably in multiple directions, unlock attacks from deep, and also try and break up play with a bit of hustle and bustle. El Nini is a complete Jack Russell, just covers every blade of the grass, you know, defensively does his job and, and always looks for the most technically uh, astute player on the pitch uh, who is of close proximity to him as possible. Willock is a player who likes to try and go beyond the nine, you know, but he's cutting his teeth. Smith Rowe is a creative midfielder who likes to operate in small pockets in the final third and create opportunities. What the fuck is Danny Ceballos? I can't tell you what he tries to do. I can't. You know, and Thomas Party is all the Thomas Party, sorry, is all the things that Jack that I mentioned with Jacko, just a lot better than Jacko, with the utmost respect to Granite Jacko. You know, and anyone who watched the game against United and then watched the game again last night, you you do just see Party is proper classy. Do you know what I mean? He is vintage yes. silk. Do you know what I mean? He's like a fucking so roll. That game against Palace was an absolute drab fest. So let's move on to Newcastle, a game with much more promise. Obviously, they've come on a really poor run of form, you know. But just finishing off Palace, Bob, it was very important to say that Leno was man of the match in that game. He earned Arsenal a point in, instead of sacrificing three in that game. And he's been good for a while. And it's just important that people actually give him the praise he deserves for that. And also, Aubameyang had another poor game. Uh, and now we come on to Newcastle. And Aubameyang hadn't started to have another poor game in my But I think opinion. the first half was much the same from Palace in many ways. You know, there was we, we did control the game and we had a very heavy abundance of possession and things like that. I mean, our total possession last night was 66.4 versus 33.6. 
we also had 20 shots on target back to early parts in the season. You know, when we were doing eight and nine shots on target, we talked about getting more shots on target, 20 shots on target to their four. That's a well, massive... Do you mean... You mean... You're, you're saying sorry, the shots, word... Shots. Yeah, you're shots. saying the word target. Here, so I'm right? reading the word on target above it on my screen in front of me. We had six shots on target, but 20 shots. Yes. Getting the ball which, away. Which is, which is a significant improvement on where we've been in, um, you know, pre-Christmas. You 100%. Know? I felt last night watching us in the first half, the players were doing really well. Tierney was cutting his teeth, getting back in. You know, he did have a bit of tightness the week before, so he wouldn't have been looking to run out there like a nutcase straight away. There were three integral changes to the starting eleven for Newcastle, weren't there? Tierney, Party, and the one that deserves a big mention is uh, Cedric. So, I think, if we, if we do a little... Like for life, Cedric versus Bellerim. What Cedric did last night, and he did very, very well, he totally stuck to his position, his style of play, respected the role in the team, and did it accurately. And I think if a player is going to do your job properly, he ran up and down the line, he got forward at the right times, he stayed back at the right times, he stuck to his position, he looked to find space. Everything that Bellerin didn't do against Crystal Palace, you know. Bellerin got in the way of a ball that was coming into the box that was going to go directly to Lacazette that could have led to a goal against Palace. Whereas Cedric stuck to the byline, cut inside and set up our third, which was a brilliant goal. It was. So that was that was a massive change to how we played. Yeah, no, C- Cedric had a really, really, really good game. And he, I mean, it was good for me because I've, I've obviously said a few things about him footballing wise. that I think he is, you know, he probably isn't the athlete that Bellerin is, but from a footballing perspective, I think he's, a, you know, a better footballer to me. And I thought he showed that in abundance last night. Some of his close control, the way he turned. Uh, there's a little uh, gif or meme going around at the moment, the way he turns um, the guy playing, uh, Joe Linton, I think, and then gets away, drops it inside, bombs on. You know, his delivery into the box is good. And the pace and the uh, ability to set up a Bamiyang's third goal, sorry, uh, Arsenal's third goal, Bamiyang's second goal, Bellerin doesn't go to a byline and, and like hammer it across to a player. And, you know, and a player of Aubameyang's abilities, and, you know, take it 100 mile an hour and just tuck it in, you know. It, they are the kind of passes that Aubameyang wants, you know. Something is clinical with purpose. So that's an interesting point. So that ball's crossed into the middle of the box. Aubameyang hits it at pace, finishes it 3-0. In the first half... Aubameyang's missed an open goal. He's hit the top corner of the post. You know, in my opinion, that's harder to do than hit the target in that instance. You know, so you thought at that moment in time, here we go again. You know, our talisman, our number one striker, our captain, the man who scores all the goals, not firing again. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah, with you. But it turned for Arsenal in that game. Kieran Tierney and Cedric on both flanks at the right and left back played brilliantly well. But the the third change from the lineup versus Palace was the reintroduction, if you will, our new signing, Thomas Partey. The way that Thomas Partey played last night, and I think we could talk a bit more in detail about some things he did later, but the way he played last night had me thinking, what if? What if Thomas Partey wasn't injured? Yeah, I mean, look, 
Thomas Partey had a fine game against Man United, but Arsenal were still poor, and and we play, we just played Man United on the right night, you know, because they've gone on and there. There's a bit of breathing space for them at the top of the league now, but. <sighs> Yeah, I, it's very difficult to do what what ifs. Do you know what I mean? What, what's your age, I would say? And if my uncle had... Uh, <laughs> if my auntie had bollocks, she'd be my uncle. That is yeah. correct. But no, yeah, that's, so, but the thing is, James... I, I, know, I know what you mean, yeah. Go on. It's something we've been lacking all season long. But there, there, there's so many cardinal changes to things now, Bob, that when he still wasn't in the team that have changed, that make it easier for him to come back in. You know, if he'd have been fit around all those times, you're telling me that he would have made five attacking players drop out of being in barren, dreadful form to being in form again. You just, it just wouldn't have happened. He's come into a side now where Saka's playing right side. He's in a rich reign of form. He's never played with Smith Rowe before. And another, again, I want to give Lacazette respect. He's not got his goal or assist last night, which I know he looked like he was kicking himself for. But he was involved in two of the three goals. He had a great chance saved by, a, you know, and Darlow made three or four massive saves. We could have had five, six, seven last night. You know, in the second half, the ball from Saka on the angle, Lacazette's done everything right there at the back post, like getting up high, heading it down, down and hard into the bottom. Of course, a fine save by Darlow. The assist that he set up with Saka, where the, I think it's Lascelles who comes in and just throws his body at it, where it's going to be a certain goal. You know, on another evening, Lacazette has another goal and assist last night. So he's had a great game again. When that, that, that goal um, that um, Saka scores from Smith-Rowe, again, Lacazette's involved in the build-up with that. He's done a lot of work with those two when, when I think Smith-Rowe's um, assisted Saka's last three goals. But Lacazette's been involved in all three of them, I think. Lacazette, in that number nine role, or I'm calling it an 8.5, 9.5 role, if you know, sort of floating in and out, mm. he's really leading the line fantastically well. And he's yeah. getting goals, he's getting assists. Uh, it's his movement when he's not got the ball as much as anything. He's, he just, he's getting in the right positions. Something that when I've seen in Ketia play, he's not done. And in, in all fairness, when when Aubameyang played for the middle, he didn't do it either. You know, I, my you know my views on Aubameyang. He plays too far forward, in my opinion, for the style it, we play. Yeah, he does. And do you know what's been really good about showing Aubameyang through the middle is that one, you know, what it shows about Lacazette is he works smart. Do you know what I mean? He he is just a very very. You know, he's got a good football brain, as they call it, because he's he's very good in, in tracking um, the, the central defence. Uh, he puts his foot in. He's quite aggressive as well. Uh, you know, often makes little fouls, sometimes leads to bookings, but often gets called upon for just being a bit too overzealous. But with the Bamiang, now you've seen him back in that inverted left-hand side role. I still thought in the first 50 minutes last night before he gets his goal, he looks to just be playing a little bit with the handbrake on, that he's still a little bit conscious of being out of form. But then when Party clips the ball early, which is what you do miss from Ceballos, Ceballos has not got the ability to get the ball out of his feet, look up and play that pass and get Aubameyang off early. And he's still rapid Aubameyang, you know. And that when you play a team like Newcastle, who, who defended so deep in the first half to not concede, you do need the ability of someone to be able to, in a split second, play a 40-yard diagonal ball that destroys their shape. And, and that's, when, 
And that's when Aubameyang had to take his chance. Now, he did take his chance. He just took his chance in a very different way to what I expected, again, going outside into it, onto his left foot. And it actually looked like Darlow goes to ground really early. But I think Aubameyang, I'm going to throw this one out there. I'm not sure if he doesn't miskick that first goal. It kind of goes quite left and quite high very quickly off his left foot. And the I, keepers, uh, what do you think? I, I, th- I think that that goal, the goal sort of come out of nowhere for me. You know, I was just, uh, I was chatting with a friend at the time, a fellow gooner. We were sort of arming and ahhing about what was going to happen in the first half and how lackluster again the first, uh, sorry, the second half and how lackluster again the first was. And next thing you know, Aubameyang's got a great pass from uh, the boy party and he's it, banged it in the net. And I'm like, where's this come from? I'm not too sure if it was a missed kick or not, but all I did know is it beat the keeper, all ends up, and we went one then up, and I cheered rejoicefully. Yeah, no, absolutely, so did I. It was I was I was elated to see it, and I was happy to see the somersault back in full fettle. It was a great goal, and it just showed what we've missed with Thomas Party. And again, it's the point I was trying to make that he has got such a variety in his game. He travels with the ball. It's just the little things he does, Bob. When he looks under pressure, he he doesn't... It look, when you're watching as a fan, you're like, oh, fuck, he's under pressure. He's getting pressed. He seems so composed with the football. He just doesn't seem bothered by it. You know, it does remind me a bit of, of Vieira in that instance. He did this little thing in the middle of the park yesterday where I thought um, he had his back to the oncoming player and he's received a, port, a pass a bit short. And I thought, oh, he's going to smash him in and lose possession. They'll be on the counter. And he got, he turned and he, he popped it off his right foot about five yards towards, sort of, say, 10 o'clock on a, on a clock face, it was just a little passage of, of a little pocket of space where he can knock the ball five yards and no one else can get to it. He completely gets away from this guy who's pressed him. This guy who's pressed him is now completely out of the game and then he can travel 20 yards and nonchalantly just knock it off. I, Do you remember that him, little moment? Do you remember? I, just, I, I was watching him last night, everything he did. Yeah. And the, I just thought, it, look, it reminded me of going back to infant school. <laughs> and there you are, like the very you're at the very first school. You're just playing, you're playing football out in the playground as eight year olds. You know, trying your best to be whatever footballer you want to be. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> a, te- a teacher or a student teacher comes along and plays with you. And they're bigger and they're taller and they're stronger, and they just dribble past everybody, and no one can get the ball off them. And they pass the ball right, and they shoot the ball right. Yeah. And they just and I just thought Thomas Party looked like. He was a dad playing with kids last night. It was an elite, but it was, so I don't want to wax lyrical and say, oh my God, he's the best thing since sliced bread or any bread at all. But it's probably the best loaf we've had in a while in that position. Oh like, yeah, no, he, he, is, he is your freshly baked tiger, oh, isn't he? He, he's a, you just, know. he was so, it was, it was really lovely to, because you said it just then, he looked like he could get dispossessed. He didn't look like he could get dispossessed at all. It was like the ball was on a string. Uh, with him and he, he put it wherever he wanted to put it the weight of pass was delicious you know and that's something I think the Sabios and I will categorically say this I felt that sometimes with Sabios and El Nene especially sometimes their weight of pass isn't good enough Thomas Party hit every pass perfectly on the fizz last night if it needed to travel up 25 yards that ball was sent to travel 25 yards straight to the person crisp passing and that that's a massive difference 
because it cuts out and it reduces a chance for an interception. He dominated the midfield with us last night. You know, we had 634 passes to their 323 passes. Absolutely dominated. Him and Xhaka in the middle of the park. I think they got the ball back between them something like 11 times and that was just the first half you know their dispossession of the opposition as good as their attention of the ball and their what they do with it I was I was I know it's Newcastle they're in a bad vein of form but you still got to play the game of football and they played it brilliantly last night if you go back against Burnley Aston Villa uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers Leeds United we played those games not able to control the midfield not able to do a job properly last night boom brilliantly controlling the midfield all in all I really enjoyed certainly I really enjoyed the second half and if you were the second half of the first half you could see us building up and I said to you we're doing better here aren't we but we definitely needed a goal and that happened earlier in the second half yeah, it did. And and it really set the tone. And and it is a bit like the old... I, I remember watching Arsenal of old with Wenger. You always want... If you score the first goal in a game, you, you're the very, 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 very... I mean, I know it's a cliche, but it's the way you used to kind of, you know, draw the, draw the walls out, you know? Because teams do defend deep against Arsenal and the only way you get them to come out is when they need to achieve something from the game. And as soon as they had to play up five yards to try and aid Wilson and Carroll, who I was fucking worried about. You know, it just, it, you give our front line that extra five yards. And and I've got to say, I've been so impressed with Smith Rowe since he's been in the side. He does find the pockets really, really well. I know he's been touted as the Croydon KDB. He's not, not actually, De Bruyne it would, is a player probably that I would, you know, kind of compare him with. He actually probably reminds me a little bit more of like a Eden Hazard you know, the way in which he runs, I mean, it hasn't scored a lot more goals, but he's a bit more direct in his traveling in, in where, you know, uh, De Bruyne is such a good distributor of the ball. You know, actually, do you know what? He plays the game a little bit like a raw early days Jack Wilshire. You know, he, he tries to draw the tackle, draw the player and it's quick chip offs, you know. You know, it's, he's playing, it's like, it's like, you know, it's the triangles. It's a bit like the El Rondo stuff. You know, uh, Smith Rowan, he's off the shoulder. He's gone, gone, gone. And he's been so good, so good at amending defence's shape. You know, people that are setting up in two fours. He, he just has this talent of breaking the opposition shape by creating uh, passing patterns and running at teams. And, and he's been brilliant. And, and Lacazette looks like he's flourished playing with him. And, and Saka, another, just whose game's gone up another gear by Smith Rowe coming into the team. And I think when we first saw Party come through, we watched that game against Man United. I think we thought that probably Party and El Nenny was now the two. But it, not a chance, my friend. Not a chance. Yeah, and and that was because we were playing a three-five-two. But you know, we have been told that. Obviously, Arteta now wants to move into a 4-3-3 and he, he has slowly kind of bedded it in. And now it looks like it's <laughs> really say he wants to move in, I thought you were going to say he wants to move into a bungalow. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, now he wants to move wants... into a, ni- a nice apartment overlooking the Thames. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, look at the London Christmas lights then. And, and 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 now he's in a three. I think he's found a. You just couldn't at the moment, unless Arsenal wake up and do something in the transfer market in retrospective players coming in. Party Jacker uh, Smith Rowe is just streets ahead of any other three. I think you know. 
I absolutely agree. What they've done as a three, the way they're playing, the way they're incorporating with, you know, can't forget Saka, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But no, uh, they looked brilliantly last night. And I, I, I think that's the way forward for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is. I, I mentioned it earlier and I do want to. Holdings signed a, a three and a half year extension this week. I think since we first signed him, he's lost his hair. He's gained a set of veneers, so he's into sort of full London mode now after moving down from the north. But I, I think he's actually having a, a, a really, really good run of games. You know, Gabriel was getting all the plaudits, wasn't he, for coming in as a new player and, and was obviously our player of the month for three months in a row. And all of a sudden now he hasn't played for six or seven games, maybe more. And Mary was having a really good run of games. And now Louise has had three really solid games, but they've all done it partnering holding. And I think actually he's been the really, really solid factor. And I thought he showed it last night. It just looked like he said to himself, I've got a new contract, which is great. Shows that the club believe in me. I've been injury free for a long time, touch wood, and that continues. And no matter who I've partnered with, I've been able to achieve, you know, a fair chunk of clean sheets. So, because his passing last night to me just looked like he took it up a gear. He was distributing the ball off right and left foot. And again, he was another one who was trying to move the ball quickly from the back, I thought, last night. You know, it just looked I, like it, it was crisper. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, Rob Holding, you know, did the anomaly, signed a new contract and then starts playing well. That's unusual for Arsenal. <laughs> but no, I, he, you're right, James. The last few games, he's really came into his own. But... The one thing I'll say, it goes back to what I said to you many pods ago. We're shooting more. We are attacking more. We're scoring more. It is not ironic that our defenders are keeping clean sheets or playing well when we are scoring goals up front. That's it. You know, if you shoot, they can't. You know, the maths, as Arteta likes to call it, is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But party last night, wow, I still can't get over him. He was really good. And what do you make of this Cedric versus Bellerin saga? What do you do now after Cedric's had a game like that? You know, he's had a nine out of ten game, in my opinion. He's, done, he's, he's been faultless, really. I tell you what, Cedric is the man in possession, if you will. I think he should play again. I certainly would play him again in the cup at the weekend when we find out who we're playing against. So I would definitely play Cedric at the weekend. And I would just see what happens. We looked slightly better with him in the side. Don't get me wrong. If Bellerin plays brilliantly, he's better than Cedric. But I think Cedric, when he plays, when the two of them don't play well, I think Cedric's discipline sort of gets him through and and makes us a stronger team. Because we've got that cup game now. And then we've got three games come really, really quick. We've got Southampton away, United at home on the Saturday, the 30th. So Southampton away on the 27th. United at home on the 30th. And I mean, in all intensive purposes, we could play Southampton, Southampton away twice in four days. Yeah. We then go United Wolves, as you just said. Uh, Villa, you know, and then back to the FA Cup on the uh, between the 8th and the 11th. Mm. And that would be against the winner of Wolves or Chorley. So again, you could be playing Wolves twice in the space of a week, you know, which in all intents and purposes you, th- you think you could be doing. And then obviously, you're, well, we think Europe might start up again on the 18th of February, but there's a cat in chance of that. So um, to, to finish off, 
we've taken four points from a possible six against Newcastle and Palace. It's it's not a plus, but it's it's certainly above average. So maybe better than what we have been doing, you know, last year before Christmas. So I would say it was a good B, B plus, yeah. Yeah, two clean sheets, which is great. Uh, for, you know, now starting to consistently, not cons- I say consistently, but on on more than a few occasions now, scored scored two or more goals in a game, which is absolutely important. And um, your man of the match, Bob, was oh, last night. Uh, yeah. Man of the match for me, the man of the match last night. I will say is I'm going to say Smith Rowe. Smith Rowe, I thought you would have gone party in his balls, which brings you on nicely to your point. <laughs> you know, party and Smith Rowe, what they have done that we haven't had is they have been, they have created more and they create more quite simply with the quality of their balls. And having good quality balls is important. It's important <laughs> for Arsenal Football Club and it's important for men. Uh, and with that, let's take a break. See you in a minute. This week's episode of At Jim Bobcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Do you wish you can have the ball skills of an Urzel or a Messi? Well, now you can. The Perfect Package 3.0 from Manscaped is the only way to transform your ballon sores into your ballon doors. Manscaped offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels, and the Lawnmower 3.0 is the Rolls Royce of trimmers. It literally is the nuts. It's safe on your balls, and with skin safe technology, there's no nicks or snags, so they won't end up looking like they've been slide tackled by Roy Keane. It's cordless and waterproof, so you can shave away in the shower, and it's even got an LED light so you can see exactly where you're going. It's a bit like a miner's helmet for your helmet. You'll go from David Luiz to Pierre Luigi Colina in no time at all. The Perfect Package 3.0 doesn't stop there. They have a full range of gonad gubbins. There's no more Betty Swallocks with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. They make your testicles their besticles. Smooth and silky, smelling so sweet, they will be known as the special ones forevermore. They think it's all over. Well, it isn't. No longer will your cluster get into a fluster. You'll also get Ball Toner. Crop Reviver is sensational. I love a cheeky little spritz on my bits. Guys, don't let yourself get nutmegged. Get your hands on the Perfect Package 3.0. It will change your life forever and make your testes their absolute besties. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code JIMBOB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the code JIMBOB20. I promise you, your balls will thank you. And we're back. How are you, James? I'm so, very yes. good. So there we are, our friends at Manscaped. Talking about them, I have the trimmer in my hand, actually. And I'm wearing the nice shirt they gave me, you know. Bob uh, is about to do a live ball examination. Well, I'm not sure I might I might get them. Well, it's, it's you just have to give them a trim and and the and you know, so when you're trimming <laughs> so when you're trimming, you just basically have to just take the hair and if you keep it flat, then what will happen is you don't 
snag anything, you know, and you've got to go up, almost going with the grain. And when you go with the grain, you end up with good quality, smooth, shiny, silky <laughs> balls. Yeah, well, whilst we're joking aside, and uh, Bob is running his razor probably along the five his uh, his denim uh, garms, we're we're very grateful for uh, partnering with Manscaped.com. Clearly, the um, uh, number one in leading sort of male grooming products at the moment. And at this show, we'll also leave you with a tag with the um, and you would have heard the ad. Uh, the uh, Jim Bob 20 nudge so you guys can uh, crack on and give them a try out and get some discount on us. So Bob, uh, don't, don't, just, so I've, I've used the kit. Yeah. I've used the kit and my missus has used it on me as well. And she, Go on, not, Nicola. Yeah, not only, not only is it actually good quality, it's actually good fun. She yeah. was like a cross between Neil Buchanan and Van Gogh grooming me, you know, doing it was like a, it was like I had a crop, it's like crop circles down there now. I had four people coming along from aliens. But oh, please, <laughs> please tell everyone who Neil Buchanan is, who because we've got quite a lot of listeners in America. Neil Buchanan from Art Attack on uh, what would be CITV uh, used to do great art and things like that. But yeah. <laughs> or, or Bob or Bob from the Joy of Painting. He had he had a fine hair on him, Bob from the Joy of Painting. <laughs> oh. Anyway, let's let's get on with the middle, the second part of today's show. Yeah. Uh, and it's the end of an era, James. Yeah, it is. It's an it's an incredibly um I find I do I do genuinely find it incredibly sad. It's an incredibly sad moment. Mesut always um uh, I believe it will be by mutual consent uh, terminating his Arsenal contract six months earlier than it's due to finish. And I think from all of the uh, social media hype that his team have uh, been very creative putting together is joining his hometown club Fenerbahce in Turkey. And uh, after seven and a half years at Arsenal, he has divided just about every fucking person who's got an opinion on football, whether it be the chairman of Arsenal Football Club to the playing staff to the playing staff and federations that run the German international team to uh, the political entities that control um, football in China to fucking esports and uh, e-commerce businesses in, in, in America. I mean, you know, this guy really has globally developed an opinion. He, he has almost become the proverbial Marmite of football now. He is better than division than Carol Vorderman. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. One for the kids there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I will be guided on this conversation by you. It, it, it needs to be talked about in so many different ways. Where, where do you want to start with Mesut Ozil? Well, I think what we have to go back to is we go back to our Christmas special and we talk about the fact we put him firmly in sort of third or fourth place on our respective top 10 players of all Emirates time. He is the most decorated footballer within the Emirates history winning four FA Cups. He's won four community, well, he's been in the squad for three community shields. You know, he has got countless assists. He's contributed countless goals to Arsenal, played some phenomenal football, scored some good goals as well. And Meza Ozil has been a fine, fine footballer for Arsenal. I will say that now to the statistics of him, they back it up left, right and centre, to be honest with you, James. And we could we could talk statistics of Mesut Ozil quite a lot. Started off as a number 11, ended up as a number 10. 
played for three different managers. Four. Freddie Umberg, yes. Yeah, and I, I just think he, he had to come to an end. Everything has to come to an end. I think not only does Mesut Ozil's time at Arsenal, should it have come to an end, you know, whether you have whatever view you have about him playing for the side or not this season is neither here nor there. I certainly do believe it would have come to an end at the end of this season. I don't believe Arsenal would have renewed his contract irrelevantly just because he, he's on too much money and with what's happened with the pandemic and things like that, his salary is a... Uh, is a lot of money, so that's a that's a logical way of looking at Meza Erzul. So where where do we, where, like, this is the point though? What I want to say about where do you want to start? Fan base is divided because and the media and the journalists around football, you know, are divided because they believe that Meza Erzul. Some believe he is just uh, you know a magician of the game, uh, you know, a don of the creative midfield, arguably one of the best tens of that that cam position to play in Europe for. For years and years and years, stats back it up, World Cups back it up, um, chances created stats in the two main divisions that he's played his career in back it up. But then others say he's lazy, he has a bad attitude, he doesn't tackle, he doesn't do it in the big games. So, you know, this is the this is what I mean by where do you want to start with Ozil? There is, you refer to the 10 versus 11 part because the 10 almost came in conjunction with Jack Wilshere leaving Arsenal and um, Ozil's career for Arsenal in the 11 shirt is, it is almost like, you know, a completely different player has taken on the 10 shirt. Um, yes, indeed. But, you, you know, but overall, the stats balance that his career at Arsenal, if people kind of sit back and look at them, you're kind of, it's it's very difficult to turn around and be and be and have a grievance with a footballer who most class as one of the finest to play in an era where you've been at a stadium for now nigh on 13 years. So he spent 60% or 65% of the time that the stadiums existed as an Arsenal player. And he's kind of recognized, you know, he's only really surpassed by Sanchez, Van Persie and Fabregas, who have all had illustrious Arsenal careers, you know? So it's a really, really difficult one for me. Meza Ozil signifies so much for me at Arsenal. You know, the demise of Arsenal Football Club under the cronky ownership where we were just losing top player after top player after top player was heartbreaking. After watching, growing up as a child, watching an invincible season, which was mesmerising, to then losing in a Champions League final, which almost kind of felt like we were robbed of it, then losing our talisman in Henri in really unforeseen circumstances. Then we should have won the league in 08-09, and we didn't. You know, and then we just go on this run of things. Then we just get embarrassed with the whole Fabregas to Barcelona thing every year eventually happens. Then Van Persie has to go. Nasri, I said this to you when we had a bit of a conversation the other day about how every single player in the last 15 years, I believe, has shithoused us. You know, the Nasri situation about playing, being booed at every time he touched the ball and leaves for City a couple of days later. Adebayor making a mockery of our fans and he scores against us. No one's ever done that. I can't think of any other moments where a player has 
so much hatred towards his previous employer where he wants to run a hundred yards and celebrate in front of the people that he used to play for. You, you know, the way in which we've allowed Ramsey to leave on a free transfer, who could easily generate a £50 million price tag. It's, it just goes on and on and on. And then you've got a, then you've got a cumulative player base now of Ramsey, Cazorla. Obviously, Cazorla's been bereft with, with injuries, so that's a yeah. tough one. But you've got Ramsey, Cazorla, Ozil Sanchez, and yeah, now Ozil Sanchez, Ramsey, Cazorla. There is one other. Uh, well, Wilshere's obviously left on a free as well. Um, but I'm sure there was one other player. But look, Sanchez subsequently was in exchange for Mkhitaryan, but Mkhitaryan's contract was terminated. He was allowed to join Roma for a free. So all those players have walked out the door for free. Yes, it's unbelievable. You know, if you add in Van Persie and Cesc Fabregas, you've moved on Ozil, Sanchez, Ramsey. Well, your top five, Bob, our top five from the Christmas special of the Emirates era has generated a combined transfer fee total of £46 million. Our top five Emirates players. <laughs> three free transfers, one for £20 million to United and one for £26 million to um, Barcelona. I believe yeah. that's what Cesc cost. Because we, yeah. we didn't get the additional reward payments because he left so soon after. It's so bad. That- so, then, so then I bring you back to that point where we went through all of those elements, Yeah. And, you know, and what's so bizarre about them letting Van Persie go was obviously if, if they had told Van Persie, look, we're going to fucking do something here. We're going to bring in a player like Meza Ozil. You know, imagine Ozil's chance creation in those early seasons, because you've given me the stats here. You know, he had 43 assists in the, pre- you know, in, in his first three seasons over and above the fact that he created 39 chances. So that's 82 chances of which 43 were converted. If, if you had someone like Van Persie playing, you, the, the, the assists would have gone up and the chance creation would have gone down because they would have been goals. Absolutely, you know? James. Absolutely. And, I mean... And that's and that's just it. And and Ozil signified something for Arsenal fans and Arsenal Football Club that was like, hang on a fucking second, we're not done here being in the upper echelon of football clubs in Europe. Arsene Wenger and this football club can draw players like Meza Ozil, a Champions League winner from Real Madrid. So just just hold fire it, like we're not done, you know? That was a player that went on that season, that very season, to go and win the World Cup. Yes, you know, it was. That's, that's yeah. a player that we bought a player. We went out and bought a player dining at the top table, you know. And and then he came in straight away and added something. 21 goal contributions in his first fourth in his first season in 42 games. It's a goal contribution every two games, guaranteed, you know. I think what you've that's, got to look at is if you look at Ozil's seasons there. You know, that first season, 13-14, he in total contributed around about 21% of all of our goals, whether he scored it or set it up, 20%. And in 15-16, he actually contributed nigh on a third of all of Arsenal Football Club's goals. You know, that's he gave us a third. In 15-16, he also had those 28 in the Premier League, big chances mm. uh, that weren't converted. You know, up up until January 2016, it had been, he actually had 16 assists, ended the league season with 19. 
Yeah, 16 assists on January the 17th, which if you look at your clock now, that's around about now. That's mental, isn't it? You know, you, you max would have played, what, 21 games at that point. To have 16 assists in 21 games is just unheard of. And you've got uh, someone like Giroud that same season. Olivier Giroud stats that same season. I know, I, he gets lambasted for this. Yeah, he, uh, does, he, yeah. he He missed 13 big chances that season. <laughs> so Ozil's had 28 big chances not converted and Olivier Giroud's missed 13 chances that season yeah I mean but, that's mental isn't it to have 28 goal contributions and have a further 20 and you've created a further 28 chances that's just in the Prem that's obviously not in the Champions League and also the, the, the FA Cup to, ha- to be involved in big chances assists and goals to have to say like you know I'll put on over 58 scorable chances uh, of which 28 were converted the thing is the numbers suggest Bob that something has gone cardinally wrong the other side of Meza Ozil which is his off-field relationships his demeanour something in his personality, something is not right. And, and I just want to make sure that the point's known from my point of view, that Meza Ozil, the footballer, absolutely did everything he should have done for Arsenal Football Club. I do not believe for a moment, not with a single breath, that I think he's failed Arsenal Football Club in his career. 121 goal contributions in 256 games. Like statistically, he is the same as Fabregas. He's got the same output as Fabregas. We looked at this on the Christmas special. You know, if he'd have played another 48 games for Arsenal, he would have finished within one or two goal contributions that Sesk did, just based on on law of averages. And again, everyone holds Sesk so dear to their heart, you know. He wasn't ushered out of any door. You know, he's red carpeted out the front door. Yeah, you know, yeah, and and he, you've, you've, there's so many other players that are going to get a better treatment of the, of him. I mean, Arsenal. I mean, Fernabachi and Meza Özil have been openly tweeting and posting on Instagram about his his arrival at the club, and not a single murmur from Arsenal Football Club. Arsenal Football Club players, and I want to come on to that part in a moment, Arsenal Football Club players tweeting that Socrates came out today. Interesting, the players that are coming out, Socrates, Guendouzi, Mustafi, a lot of the players that are sort of on the periphery at Arsenal are the ones saying, see you later, pal. Sorry, you're the best. We're really sorry and all that. Obviously, you had the tweet of that, the poster, Lacazette and Aubameyang instigated, discussing who should wear the number 10 shirt. But that's neither here nor there. I think that Arsenal... I think we can both agree it's not footballing reasons why Mesut Ozil's not playing. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but well, that's our opinion. Obviously, others others have had their opinion. People on, on the, what I have seen a little bit on Twitter are saying it's one hundred percent footballing reasons, but I don't believe personally that it is. I think there's two cardinal things that have left to the ruins in Meza Erzul's relationship. Before we move on to the ruin in the relationship, let's look at that footballing reason. Yeah. So. Last season, season before, Arsenal's chance creation dropped through the floor. You know, bloody bloody But I mean, if you look at Mesut Ozil's minutes per game, his last two seasons, he's averaging 73 minutes per game. In his previous five seasons at uh, the football club, uh, he was averaging nearly 85 minutes per game that he was playing. You know, his minutes per game, the amount of games he's playing, much, much higher. 
other things that, that we will look at maybe some of his stats later, but he's not playing as much for the football club. The last few seasons, Arsenal have have been totally missing and lacking in that midfielder role. We've had a very, what I would call a diet midfield. We've had not the right people around them in the, up front. This season, we've brought in Thomas Partey. This season, we've got right wingers like Saka and even Pepe to say. We've got a left back like Kieran Tierney. We've got players that are going to be able to complement him. Yet, for footballing reasons, possibly in the best, most perfect side for him since 15-16, we've gone, nah, not going to play you. And with the utmost respect to the next sentence I say, someone in that club believes that they will get more of an output out of Joe Willock and Danny Ceballos than they will Mesut Ozil. I just cannot conform to that being accurate. And unless Mikel Arteta actually, as a coach, because I don't know him personally, is that regimented in his beliefs about how drilled he wants his side to be, and he believes that the defensive duties those players will add over the creative ability that Ozil has will mean that he will end up with more players with them playing in the side than Meza Ozil. And, and with all due respect, I had to tell him that I believe he's wrong because his points per game average is down on all the other seasons that Meza Ozil has been a registered footballer. Arsenal's points per game is, is very interesting here. In, in all of his seasons at Arsenal, if you want to look at points per game, 13-14 his first season, 1.97. 14-15, again, 1.97. 15-16, 1.87. Again, 1.97 in 16-17. 17-18, which was Wenger's last year, 1.66. And then Emery's first year, 1.84, when we missed out on Champions League by point. But in the last two seasons, this season for current and last season, we're averaging one. We're, we're averaging less than one and a half points. 1.47 yeah. or 1.42 respectively. And, he, and he, he, he's only played 1,800 minutes of those 7,500 minutes that have happened in that period. Do you know what I mean? So he can't be held accountable. He's played in less than 25% of the minutes. And in the previous season where it was 1.84, he played in 2,400 of the 3,400. So he played in 67% when it was 1.84. So, you know, the data tells you that when he's in the side, Arsenal have been better. You know, he's just there to play and see. We've done all of the stats around it. So this is the point about where he sets the divide. And the most frustrating thing about Arsenal by Thomas Partey are exactly the points that you just made. That, you know, a, a, a number 10, I must say, I don't see anything particularly in Smith-Rowe's game where I remember a last-ditch tackle or a tracking that he makes. And a load of people say that Ozil's lazy. If you actually go and look at the data like, you know, distance covered per game. He only ever used to get beaten in distance covered by Aaron Ramsey, who was a ridiculous athlete. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's exactly it, James. So, you know, I, sometimes when I watch Meza Ozil for Arsenal, I thought, where are you, pal? This is a perfect game for you. And he didn't turn up for whatever no, he, reason. He's had, he's, he has had <laughs> games where he has not been completely at the races. He's had bad games for Arsenal. There's absolutely no denying it. I'm not but defending let's, him. Let's not, let's not be, let's be honest here, James. Arsene Wenger, during his, even if you want to use the Meza Ozil era, even, even slightly before that, had this 
tendency to do two things. Arsene Wenger's sides will go to a Stoke and get bullied and beaten up and not get a result. They'll go to a top four side and get beaten as well. So that was something that Wenger's sides had a tendency to do. I'm using Wenger's sides here because obviously under Emery and under potentially Arteta, as we can now see, we've had a tendency not to win games full stop. <laughs> but, but Wenger's sides had a tendency to go to these teams that bullied a team and get beat, go to a top side and get beat. And I would say that those would be the games where Ozil wouldn't turn up. So is Ozil not turning up as fault of Ozil? Or is Ozil not turning up as fault of the way that the football team's playing around him? Well, Sanchez what, what? never turned up to games on occasion. No, exactly. And, and one player could never be completely culpable for an entire team's performance, you know? Um, Unless your name is Shokran Mustafi. Hmm. Yeah, um, very true. But look, Bob, we, we did some data earlier, didn't we? You know, because th there was a very interesting stat came out from whoscored.com, who are another stats-based website who are great at capturing information. And, you know, only five players have since 13-14 season have contributed over 500 chances created in that time, which is m mental to think that you've created half a bag of chances. But... You know, they were Ericsson, Ozil, De Bruyne, Silva and Eden Hazard. And Ozil had the best chance creation per minute out of the five of them, only very, very, very narrowly beating Kevin De Bruyne. But Kevin De Bruyne is held in such a higher regard than Meza Ozil. So, again, it brings me back to my point. There is something that Ozil does that just makes people dislike him because everyone loves Kevin De Bruyne. Everyone, I mean, I adore him. I love watching him. I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I adore Mesut Ozil. I've seen him play many a fine game for Arsenal. And I never thought I'd see something like Cesc post-Cesc, and I saw it in abundance of Ozil. You know, he was... If you if you look at those stats that we provided, you know, on the chances and the games, Meza Ozil is creating over 184 games and Nats Krimit over three chances a game. Kevin De Bruyne is a Nats Krimit under three chances a game, you know, because everyone, yeah. just, everyone just counts Kevin De Bruyne at Manchester City. They forget he played three times for Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. If I remove his three times for Chelsea, let's just do that. There we go. There's nothing in between him and Ozil, although Ozil is still higher than him by 0 0.02. But what you're looking at here but, is... But, but, but what you're saying, no one who is a who is a neutral football fan allows Ozil to be involved in a De Bruyne conversation. It gets dismissed before you even provide data. You know? I mean, I suppose but, the, the, the difference is, and this is one of the reasons where the data... If you look at Ozil, 184 games, Kevin De Bruyne, 170 games, the chances they've created, 5.58, 5.13 respectively. Yeah. If you look at those as numbers... Ozil has created more chances than De Bruyne in a per-game ratio. Mm -hmm. The problem is De Bruyne is doing it for Aguero, who has probably, I would say, probably got one of the best goals per-game ratios of any forward in Premier League history. Without getting stats out and, com and actually computing it, I'd say it's the best. Even our, even our good friend Ronaldo, because of his first seasons, I'd say that. You know, I mean, don't look, hop against it. it. it no, no, and I think you're right. And and the offshoot of that was if it's not De Bruyne, it's Jesus, Sterling, Sane, you know, God knows who else. 
there's not really a Mares. I'm if, just trying to if think. Alisson I'm trying, I'm had, trying to if think. Played, like you said, with Robin Van Persie, even though it's coming to the end of his career in England, if he had played with Robin no, Van whoa, Persie. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He left Arsenal to go and win a league title at Man United. So it's not a. If he'd have played with him, if Giroud had been 10% better that season, if Giroud had been 10% better that season, we'd have won the league. I mean, look, the difference was was that it was Giroud, it was Podolski, it was Welbeck, it was Walcott, uh, it was Lucas Perez, and it was Joel Campbell. It, it was, was also it was and also and it was Alexis Sanchez. Also Alexis Sanchez at the same time. Yeah. So, so, so Alex, and Alexis Sanchez at that time would have got in any team in the country without a shadow of a doubt. Well, with, you know, with but, respects other than Barcelona, probably the world. But Bob, with all due respect, right? You know. When Ozil came to the Premier League, you mentioned that point about Van Persie. So, so the 13-14 season and the 14-15 season, Van Persie's record at Man United was still very, very good. Um, he had a phenomenal, so, he had a phenomenal season at United. Yeah, you know, he still he still contributed 28 goals in 60 games, just under 60 games. So he's still scoring one in two for Man United. You know, so. You know, whilst Urzel was in the league, uh, is, I mean, football is narrow margins. I think where we're getting to with 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 Meza is that you're absolutely right. And I just checked before we got onto the conversation that Arsenal. The only thing that's been asked is in Arteta's pre-match presser before the Newcastle game. He's like, you know, he, he was asked the question: "Is the closest Urzel's ever been to leaving the football club?" And all he said was, "At the moment, Edu sorts that situation out, but there's nothing concrete at the moment." You know, and I don't know when that was recorded before the Newcastle game, I imagine it's probably a day, maybe a day before that, before, I, but Ozil's been on the, Ozil's been on the Fenerbahce social medias for a, for a couple of days now. Ozil on his own social media, which if you combine Twitter and Instagram, albeit I imagine some of it's duplicated, is just under 50 million people on his social media platform. He is now boarded Fenerbahce's chairman's private jet. He's then been greeted off it. Fenerbahce's YouTube channel has posted a 42-minute video of the event. He's then been posted at Fenerbahce's site holding a flag above his head. He's then since posted a photo of him holding hands with a younger Meza Erdl in a Fenerbahce kit showing, you know, a dream maybe to a reality. He's then since posted a photo of him shaking hands of him in his Arsenal kit to then him in his Fenerbahce kit. Like you said earlier, multiple comments from multiple Arsenal employees being um, footballers and no announcement from the football club. We ran a I mean, poll this week, didn't we? I'll tell you this, James. Sorry to interrupt. Another thing that's been on there on Fenerbahce's social media, they have posted a link to the Meza Erzl's farewell to London, stating it is the only place that you can watch this official video is if you subscribed to their channel. Yeah, and, and part of his contract will definitely be we need you to raise the, the social platform of Turkish football. We need you to raise um, our, our platform over here. So he's already doing it. Very interestingly, obviously, Robin Van Persie left Man United for Fenerbahce. So, so, so he, he is already massively on the hype. And I would, have, I would have loved to have taken a screen dump of how many followers Fenerbahce had pre-Urzel and where it sits at now. 
but I imagine the numbers are going astronomical. So, you know, and look, Bob, we have alluded to these political issues. We've got onto them a little bit earlier. You know, the Chinese sponsor of Arsenal that also is a massive Premier League sponsor, he has obviously had an issue with the Urghar Muslims and defending them for what their kind of what are happenings in, in China. And second to that, Obviously, his direct issue with Arsenal Football Club was around this fur- this first furlough issue where Arsenal presented a case to all of the players and requested they take a pay cut. And it was Ozil who stood up and refused to take a pay cut because the football club weren't prepared to tell him the reasons as to why they needed the playing staff to take a pay cut. And I believe, actually, at the time, his reason behind it was if I take a pay cut, you don't need to let any staff go or, you know, and they went on to make the best part of 50 to 60 redundancies, I believe. Well, let's go back to the Chinese point, just because it was the first point made and the first thing that happened in chronological order. He stood out for an absolute atrocity against people within the human race of a one body of people causing severe harm and mistreatment to another. And he has been lambasted for this. He has been possibly ostracised from playing for his football club because of it due to monetary issues. Whereas on the other side of the coin, Marcus Rashford has stood up and he has campaigned against one body of people severely mistreating another body of people. He's been given honours by the Queen. He's been rightly regarding in every form of media out there, Parliament, etc., etc., and he's making a difference. Now, I, for one, think that human beings deserve the right to be treated kindly by one another. That's it. You know, whether it's children that are hungry and whether it's a religion a race of people or a population of a certain part of a country that are being oppressed because of their beliefs. It don't matter. Ozil says it, Arsenal don't do it because money's involved, but because it's great publicity for United, he's been seen as some sort of, well, he is rightfully so, Rashford. You tell me what the difference is, James. Tell me what the difference is between one bloke saying that's really harsh and really mean and really nasty you're doing that to those Muslims in China and one person going, that's really harsh and that's really mean that you're not feeding kids. But What's the difference? The fact that the ownership of, um, of, of Manchester United aren't Tories, I haven't got a fucking clue. You know, but what, what Marcus Rashford has tried to achieve for the school children of this country, of which I have two, um, has been nothing short of fantastic. I think there's a cat being attacked somewhere. They, um, they, 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 yeah, they're looking for this fucking tiger about to pounce on me or something. But what, yeah, what Marcus Rashford has been able to achieve this year it is nothing short of brilliant. But like you say, he's been rewarded by the Queen. He has obviously been perceived as um, as someone who is using his social media presence to do great things with it. And, you know, we knew straight away when Mesut Ozil came over to the UK, he was a fully practising Muslim. You know, he, he is of religious belief. If you go and watch Arsenal play, he, he has a almost like a, a ceremony of events that happen before he plays football with the way in which he, he, he does his prayers and wipes his face before a game. People have thrown food onto the pitch previously and he, you know, he's kissed the food and touched his head. 
things that are extremely natural to someone of their religious belief in in the middle of a football game in front of 60,000 people, you know, the way in which obviously Ozil takes his religious beliefs, you you can tell that obviously he takes them very, very seriously, celebrates eyed openly and, and all of these things. So when an element of his culture has come under attack, Obviously, he feels that it's it's important for him to probably be one of the most publicised Muslims operating in the world, you know, with the fact that he has such a large social media presence that he he, he thinks he's well within his right to have an opinion on it. He's well within his right to have an opinion on it full stop, James. If you see, this is a difference between right and wrong. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter what sports, you know, Colin Kaepernick in uh, America, the first one. Colin to Kaepernick, take yeah. Yeah. Excuse me, I don't watch American football, I just know about no, it. No, I know, you know? yeah, I know who you mean. You've yeah, got yeah. one person that goes down on his knee and he's ripped to shreds about it. Now you can't get people off their knees. Not that I'm saying that's I, a, I, no, I'm saying and, it's a and, very good... and I, I, I agree with you, and I say fashionable because I, we are now embodying it in, in our game in the UK, and I think absolutely right. You know, uh, we absolutely should stand up for racism. Um, because it's it's a despicable thing and and it and it shouldn't be encouraged. Mitchell, I, I, he's donated so much to so many underprivileged children, whether they be people that require life-saving surgery, mm. whether they be people that are hungry. Nobody mentions how much food Meza Erzul has provided for the people of North London, etc. Et no, and do you know what? That's actually very, very um, good research on your part because he, I think he sponsors a local hospital in North London. I, I can't remember seeing a stat somewhere, but he's, there's hundreds of children's, you know, I'm not sure if it's quite life saving but maybe life-changing um surgery that he's paid for he's done a lot of cleft palates i believe yeah and and and, you know he's often speaking to arsenal fans who are big fans of his that who are in a very very underprivileged circumstances through their medical conditions and he is um he's given bundles back to the communities for doing that but you're absolutely right but it's not even it's not even talked about you know it's it's chip shop paper it doesn't even get the daylight that um something like that deserves and see well that's a point james so we've talked about his views in china let's slate him and maybe drop him from the club from it it neatly brings us on to your second point i'm not taking a pay cut you get your likes of your Piers Morgans now say, oh, look at you wanting to take your fat wages. No, Meza Ozil didn't want to take a pay cut because he didn't want the money to go back to Stan Kroenke's pocket. He's taken his full salary every week and he's made sure kids have been fed. Kids have been given medicines. Kids have been given operations. You know, people have got money. He has probably given away more money than 20%. I'm, look, I don't know this, uh, but I'm going with it. He has probably given away large portions of his salary and got sponsorship and used his status as a footballer to gain more for those people than ever him taking a 20% cut of pay at Arsenal would do. And to be fair, if Arsenal said to him, you definitely won't have redundancies if you give us 20% back, he'd have probably given them 20%, even offered to pay for Gunasaurus. He was that. So 
It, this, I just wanted to Google this just to see where we were at. Inside Arsenal starters or secret charity workers, he pays for a thousand kids' operations and he has fed a hundred thousand homeless people. Mesut Ozil, one of the wealthiest footballers on the planet, but also probably amongst the most generous. Ozil came under fire after rejecting a 12.5% pay cut during coronavirus, but has done so much more with his money that so many don't understand. So that's the that's- first thing you read when you go on to that. Uh, Mesut Erdogan in May the 3rd Mesut Erdogan donates another £81,300 to a charity this month to fund supplies to help various people through Ramadan who can't feed it's just it's just there's buckets of stuff about him just giving like chunks of money 80 grand is 20% of his weekly wage if you believe what he's on that's exactly my point James that's exactly it do you add all that stuff about his political actions then you add the stuff he's being left out. No, so footballing reasons. Meza Ozil cannot play for Arsenal Football Club for footballing reasons, yet Mustafi can. Yet <laughs> El Neni can get in the squad. These players are inferior and are not good enough for Arsenal Football Club. You can have whatever view you want about how Meza Ozil plays. Whatever view. He's well, lazy. He doesn't show up for big games. You can have them views. But I tell you what, he shows up for games. And when he does, Luda Gretz, when he scored that one, the goal, got us through that Champions League match or Europa League match then. But for by sheer brilliance, he has stood up for Arsenal. And with sheer brilliance, 13-14, we won the FA Cup. You know, he's never lost an FA Cup game. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It, it's, it's, a re- it's, it's a really difficult one, that. I can only really see goodness in Mesut Ozil. And my, my real issue around the Mesut Ozil saga is that the club have completely turned the fan base on them. I was talking to a friend earlier who I hold in such high regard. And he was like, no, 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 no. I have it on good authority. He refused to train properly. He was causing fights at the club. I, I can't remember what else he was telling me. You know, the whole thing around the, the wages piece. But like when you go through stuff like this and you look at how much of his actual income he donates, it's like, well, hang on a second. He, he, he's doing all the right things with his money. He thinks that if he takes his full salary, you know, like you said, it's the fat cat's getting fatter. And the end of the day, Ozil is the one person in this whole situation who is getting lambasted for having the contract that he's got. But that contract was offered to him. Arsenal Football Club could have allowed Ozil to have been another one of these players who they who they could not negotiate good terms with. He ran out his contract and he went and played premium football in another country. You know, but they didn't. They they were prepared to offer him a contract. And they offered him the contract that he wanted to keep him in the football club because they'd already lost Sanchez. They'd already lost Van Persie and Fabregas, Adebayor, Nasri, and all those players before that. So why is it Erdogan's fault that his employers are prepared to give him a huge promotion? I described it to you earlier. You don't get pre-promoted in your football club for what we think you might do in the future. It was because at that point in time, you know, he had all of those stats under his belt that you mentioned earlier. 14 assists, 7 goals, 9 assists, 5 goals, 20 assists, 8 goals, 14 assists, 12 goals, 14 assists, 5 goals. All of those stats he had under his like, you know, what I mean? like I can sit here and turn around and actively tell you that the stats tell you that I'm worth the money. I'm worth, I'm worth the promotion. You know, he was one of the players that were integral to ending a very well, a 10 year trophy drought for Arsenal Football Club. A 10 year trophy drought. We've gone on to win the FA Cup in that time yeah. four, four times since. 
And we've let Sanchez go. And now we can't do anything with Ramsey. So now you're going to lose one of the integral players around you. And you've lost Sanchez. And we can't keep Cazorla fit. And we can't keep Wilshere fit. We've got Xhaka in the side now. And now you've got to play with players like Perez and Joel Campbell, Giroud, Welbeck, you know, and see if you can carry on and see if you can find those, fit, those 14, 15, 15, 16 numbers for us again. I mean, if you go back to the day he, re- he signed this new contract, I think it was deadline day. We just, we'd done the deal for uh, Aubameyang the same day, you know, and it was yeah. treated it was treated on Sky Sports News and by Arsenal fans that day almost as if we'd re-signed a player you know we were sing it was the Everton game the the following game after when there we were singing we've got Ozil we were singing 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 his name loud and proud because we'd re-signed him we've got a Bamian we went out and thumped Everton i think Aaron Ramsey got a hat-trick that game we beat him 5-1 but we went out there and we played some brilliant football. You know, and Erzl was a part of that. When we beat Leicester under Emery, Erzl yeah, was and, a and part let, of that. And, and let me just tell you this, Bob. Since Arsenal signed Aubameyang, Aubameyang has now played 102 league games for Arsenal. Since Aubameyang's played for Arsenal, so they finally signed a world-class striker. Erzl has played 42 league games of the, of the 102 that Aubameyang's played in. They're not. They're not even allowed. They've seconded him so badly every time they've had good players or or whatever. They've not let him fucking play. Not he's not had a run of games servicing a proper elite number nine, and he hasn't had a run of games with a proper elite number four behind him. You yeah, know, absolutely and, right. Yeah, forty-two of the hundred and two games. I just looked at that because you mentioned the Abamyang point. That's madness. To only allow Ozil to play in 40%. I mean, it's actually quite mental that Aubameyang scored the goals he has done with Ozil only 40% of them. It, it's, it's just Arsenal have mistreated this player and they're, they're, and Kroenke's are just fucking hiding in the wings again. It's like fucking Hancock this week. You know, he is proper under the gun. All of the fucking hospitals are completely overrun. The intensive care units are in dire straits and all of a sudden... Hancock gets some harm. My phone's pinged. I've got a 10-dayer. I'll catch up with you in 10 days. I'm taking a sabbatical because shit's it in the fan here. You know, and, it's, and it's like you know, these cronkies do not have to, you know, they can hide away in America. These guys can hide away in America and, and not be responsible for the demise of this football club over the last decade and a half. And and the poor running of the football club under Gazidis and now under Venkateshian have meant that we've got another premium top-shelf footballer who is leaving the club in such a scarred way for nothing. And and, and he is the person who's, who's getting all of the heat for it. I just want to say one thing where I finalise my point. Meza Ozil is not even getting a backdoor at the moment because the club haven't even had the respect to make an announcement since so much media has gone out from publicists, journos and Ozil himself. But fucking Petr Cech got a standing ovation in the Emirates. Mate, I cannot agree with you more and you actually stole the point from my mouth. I was going to say that exact same thing. We will give more of a send-off to that fuck Mustafi than we will give... We've given Kalanasic more of a send-off for his loan move than we've ever got anywhere near what we're doing for us. I think 
in all fairness, look, you can you can like Ozil, you can hate Ozil, you can say he was brilliant, you can say he was bad. I think everyone is entitled to that opinion. I'll tell you one thing, though. If anyone says that it's footballing reasons only why he's not played, you're wrong. Sorry, title to your opinion. I don't think it's factually correct, though. It just can't be because they have called footballing reasons around one of the worst Arsenal squads of my lifetime. And it's well, not... Indeed, James, they had the worst start ever since like, the mid-70s. Yeah, so... Let's just say the, the facts are there for that one, Albin. But the problem is that you're right. I personally think that whatever views you have on Mesut Ozil, I think we can all agree that he is being mistreated by Arsenal Football Club in the way that they are not... I know there's no fans and there's no fanfare and things like that because, obviously, of COVID. And that's fine. They can't be, they can't be agreed for that. But are you telling me Arsenal, with their social media presence, the way they manipulate and do social medias, you know, I don't want to say it, but I think we were among the first people that did the whole announce this, announce that, welcome this, welcome that mm. with the new signings. You know, we've always been quite good with our social media and things like that. The fact there is not one iota of acknowledgement, you know, you're you're letting your highest paid footballer walk out the door for free and it's not even thanks for the memories pal it's not even sorry fans for letting this happen to you it's not even thank you it's not even sorry it's not even what's gone on they're almost pretending there's almost like donald trump's taken over our social media I mean, and yeah, he's, it's, he's look, blind I, I, to the world out there. I think it's an absolute trap. You know, don't get me wrong. We're recording this now, what, Tuesday evening? Yeah. You know, this will go out probably Thursday. And by, in the middle time tomorrow, there'll be a full-on documentary released by Arsenal, an, AF, an Arsenal TV well, player. But I don't know. Obviously, if you look at when he's travelled and things like that, it doesn't look like he's done any kind of exit interview or anything that he can sort of do with a send-off with Arsenal. I think he's going to probably publicise his own one. He's definitely going to want to say something because he is someone who likes to have um, freedom of speech. So, look, you know, I, I just from my opinion, he'd be remembered as an Emirate great. He's not the greatest, but he, he was one of the greatest players of the Emirates era. I have so many fond memories of him. I was very lucky to meet him um, at an Arsenal game. I generally wish Meza Ozil, uh, you know, a player of that ability who is still of an age where they can contribute to, to professional football, you know, albeit be for a team now that has no personal effect on me. I hope to see uh, one last, um, you know, hashtag Meza memory for Fenerbahce. I think we have Agreed. a very big, a very big at Jim Bob cast. Um, uh, you know, good luck. And for Arsenal, I think in these circumstances, you really need to pull your socks up. Your contract negotiations, your retention of top players and your actual acquisition of top players has been completely depleted now for, for, for over a decade. And if you want to get back to Champions League football and actually winning major, major honours, that is part of Arsenal Football Club that is way under the standard. Who, who would you like to see replace Mesut Ozil, James? Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish. I've seen on Twitter this evening, there's been some big movements uh, with uh, the boy Erdegaard or Odegaard at Madrid wanting to leave on loan. I would, I for one, think if we could get a loan deal for him, that could be very good. I don't know anything about him. Never seen him play. 
he's a good attacking midfielder. I think he would add something. I think he'd complement Smith Rowe nicely. I'm so bored of talking about signing players on loan. I feel like I'm a League Two club. You know, it, it's just it's so underwhelming about having to talk about loan deals and things like that. Arsenal have just taken a hundred million pound loan. Only one of three clubs to do it. You know, I don't. I just don't understand where all of the cash at Arsenal goes. I just do not get it. It just. It just further absolutely you know decorates the fact that our self-sufficient way of trying to run our business just has us so hampered in professional football you you just are a middle of the road club we're a middle of the road premier league club under this model you know we just can't be anything bigger than that yeah I, i'm you know it's, it's, it's distressing that we are now the 19th of 19th of january and we've not been linked with anyone other than a small tweeting of Julian Bram. That quickly went away. And then it was a linking to Buendia, which now that's a £40 million player. 40, 40 to £50 million. And Norwich are on a, on a path to come back to the league and the players focused. Ornstein shut that one down. Mm-hmm. The standard kind of Draxler is the new kind of Higuain Benzema. That gets a little snippet, but... Draxler will see his contract out. It's exactly the same situation. Ozil's an employee on a good wage, absolutely been his right to see his contract out. Footballers have short careers. People say he's on loads of money. His career's over in three years. He's got to live for another 45 years. So, you know, someone's got to pay him. You know, and Draxler will do exactly the same thing at PSG. He'll be on 150 grand a week or something there, Euros. He'll see his contract out and then he'll go somewhere. This is what happens in the American um, sports, you know. Yeah, they get massive signing on fees and then they go on to three, four-year contracts because they haven't got to pay transfer fees to retrospective holding clubs anymore. You will not see Draxler move in this window. He will absolutely decline everything unless PSG give him a severance package because he knows that in six months' time, he is still a very, very valuable asset and at a young enough age that he can get the wages he wants. Plus, someone will say, well, I'm happy to pay him seven and a half million quid as a, as a joining fee because I haven't got to pay a transfer fee. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, there's more, there's, it's worth more to him. Yeah, to that's why of... Ramsey went to Juventus in the end because I think they paid him like 15 million euro plus is the wages that he wanted. <laughs> it's made his family for life, that, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, his wife's a humble baker from some small town in Wales. Like, oh, love, I've got 15 million euros. Fucking hell, I can buy loads of flour that, you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> there she is making pastry after croissant. Or... Yeah, exactly. A few pano chocolats and she's just got a, a, you know, a fucking basement of pastry in her Italian return, uh, via. Return, returns home. What have we done today, darling? I've uh, I've knocked up a Victoria sponge. I've knocked up a Victoria sponge, so I have, darling. <laughs> yeah. Would you exactly. like some? It's, it's yeah. absolutely lush. <laughs> uh, why haven't you made it a panettone? We're here in fucking Turin now, whatever. But, um, yeah, exactly. But, like, you know, um, good luck to them all. But, uh, look, Bob, you got any, any lasting uh, anecdotes on, on Meza Ozil? You know, I'm sad, but I, I'm one of these people that everything has its duration in life. Mm. And because the club had set their stall out, uh, and it's the club's fault why they're not planning, I believe him. That's my opinion. 
they've set their stall out. He wasn't going to play for Arsenal again. So I, I'd much rather him not be at Arsenal. Yeah, because, I agree. Because it affects the players on the pitch as, it, as, as much as it'll affect anybody else. Knowing that he's there, knowing that fans, knowing that media will say, well, Mesut Ozil's not playing and Arsenal aren't creating chances. He's not at the club anymore. So he can't, he cannot play. You know, mm. he's gone. You know, allow Smith Rowe to, to develop. By all means, get players to come in, you know, sign a Grealish, an Odegaard, a Bundia, you know, a Drax. By all means, bring these players, a Wilfred Saha. <laughs> a war. A war. A war. By the way, sign these players, bring them in. Let's move forward. Every player leaves the club. Tony Adams left the club. Viviera left the club. Henri left the club. Ted Drake left the club, went and got to manage Chelsea to a league title. Arsenal greats go and leave the club and they will always continue to do that. And Arsenal keeps on going. As people have said before, you know, it's you play for the name on the front of the shirt, not the name on the back. And that's something that I want Arsenal to do well. I'm an Arsenal fan first and foremost. I enjoy the players that play for Arsenal. If Mustafi left tomorrow, I would celebrate. If he goes and plays against Southampton at the weekend and scores the winning goal, I will also celebrate. So that's exactly a thing, you know. I just want Arsenal to get better. I enjoyed Arsenal in 1998. I enjoyed Arsenal in the early 2000s and I loved them in 2004, you know, 2006. Champions League yeah. final, I, and I love them in the FA Cup final this year. You know, I love yeah, that. Yeah, and you'll love them until, you know, you um, have your grandchildren on your knee, whoever's originally them, you know. So you're absolutely right. The club outlive every single player, member of staff, X, Y, and Z, because it's just because the club is the one thing in um, in time that, that doesn't die, and that's what we support. So, you know, we have to move beyond Mesut. It's just a slightly sad set of situations as to, um, I, you, I just don't feel like you see this happen at any other club. I just, you know, it, it, it just doesn't. I feel like every every other football club just has a bit more class than we do. And that and that bugs me because I, I hold someone like Arsene Wenger in such high regard as a classy individual. So something's just not right there, but... I think hey, that's hope. a good point, James. That's a very good point. It's the class about it. Other clubs have moved on players that are much that are much more divisive and sour in their dressing rooms, and they've got a more of a send off than what Meza Erzl's getting. Yeah. All right, old boy. That's all from me. Is that all from you? I, I'm I'm done, if you will. Okay. Well, thank you again to this week to our sponsor, Manscaped.com. Make sure that you use Jim Bob 20. Go check it out. Bob, you have had the full trimming service and Nicola has assisted you with it. And oh, it's I'm been sure. beautiful. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So we'll just we'll finish off by saying this week's episode of At Jim Bob Cast has been brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Remember to use the Jim Bob 20 discount code at manscaped.com. That will get you free shipping as well as your 20% off. We promise you, both myself, James, and my wife, Nicola, that your balls will thank you. <laughs> well, that is, uh, and you can look, we'll post it up on the Twitter page. So get on that at Jim Bobcast, and uh, everything will be there for you. But um, as always, it's been a bloody good chat with you, old Bean. I have been Jim. And I have been Bob. See you all soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>